touching up the door frames mm-hmm. and painting them white and Bella was kind of getting close to him. I was like, oh man, Bella's going to lean up on that and there's going to be a sexually aggressive skunk knocking on our window. Who is the cat? Trying to get, yeah. Maybe you should clarify that. Bella is the cat. It's not our roommate. We don't have a roommate that attracts skunks. <laughs> Anymore. Today on From A to Ziggy, China Girl. Just you shut your mouth. But I'm talking about China Girl. Welcome to From A to Ziggy. This is the podcast in which we listen to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order and talk about it. My name's Thomas. My name is Travis. And oh my God, we got our first guest ever. Who's this we have here? Who are you? Uh, Abby. So you like 80s Bowie, like a lot, right? I do. It's my favorite Bowie is 80s Bowie. Which you said this is like your favorite 80s Bowie song, right? Well, not counting Labyrinth stuff. Um, this one and the one about getting to the church on time. Modern Love. Yeah, that one. Uh, but you won't get to that for a long time. Yeah, it's going to be a little while until we get Come back one. in 2017. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 2018? So yeah, China Girl. China Girl. Is there anything at all worth saying about China Girl? I don't know. We might as well just shut it down now. This is not an interesting song at all. Yeah. So this is one of the three huge singles on Let's Dance. Side one on Let's Dance is loaded with just like iconic 80s pop tunes, which is pretty much why that ended up being our first Bowie album that we ordered was Let's Dance. Because it's my favorite Bowie album. Yeah. The way I heard the story, if I remember correctly, that uh, it was your Amazon money. It was, was my Amazon money. Was so I was like, him. if it's my Amazon money, I'm going to buy Let's Dance. Yeah. So. Your, your money, your Bowie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't really remember this song as much from my childhood. My earliest memories of China Girl are from like middle school or high school, seeing it on pop-up video. Oh, that's late. Yeah. Because Papa Video was a be 90s late. show, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, in the 80s, like, I was familiar with Let's Dance, and I remember seeing the video for Dancing in the Street a lot. But yeah, China Girl didn't come to me until later on. And this was one of those things that, first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this doesn't feel right. It was kind of like, as a child, learning that the Washington Redskins were a football team, being like, well, that maybe shouldn't be a thing. So this song kind of made, I, I was old enough the first time I heard it to be a little uncomfortable with it. I mean... For reasons that we'll dig into as this goes along, it's grown on me. But it hits you a little weird the first time, and it hasn't aged spectacularly. The video, at least. We watched it earlier. Yeah, it's we just like back and it just earlier full today. of imagery of Asian women and Asian stereotypes, and it's like already sort of it's already sort of racist, and it just sort of like adds on top of that. I think it's the combination of calling her a little China girl and this the Asian music in the background um, makes it feel like it's playing into all of these stereotypes about Asian women about them being delicate and submissive and how that has sort of continued to be perpetuated in our society for a long time. The original Iggy Pop version doesn't feel quite as appropriate. I mean, the lyrics are all the same, but the music is, it doesn't have the like stereotypical like Chinese elements to it. It's basically just like guitar noise. Like you you would expect from Iggy Mm -hmm. Pop. Yeah. And it was written about, where was she from? Paris, right? The, The girl he was writing the song about about how like she didn't speak English and he didn't speak French, but they had this thing. Yeah. And the uh, the sh- just you shut your mouth line was from him like trying to speak in broken French and her just being like shh no <laughs> stop. So was this uh, Kulan Nguyen? Because the, the story oh, I read was the, than I. I don't know where she's <laughs> from. Uh, I'm probably butchering that name, by the way. Nguyen, that name that's a Vietnamese name. So so the story that is told on. 
on the Pushing Head of the Dame site. It makes reference to how Kulian Kulen Gwyn um, spoke try. valiant effort. It says that she spoke no English and Pop spoke no French. Ah. So they communicated entirely in gestures, expressions, and uh, and reductions of each other's language. And the language of love. Language <laughs> of love. So presumably it was written as China Girl to kind of protect her anonymity and make it just different enough not to be totally autobiographical. And then Bowie just took it to a whole different place. Or was he just being completely racist and reducing all Asian... Or he was just being racist. Chinese. Because that was a thing. It was acceptable for a lot longer than most. Yeah, and a lot of the lyrics do kind of like reduce someone just because they don't speak the language to like childlike. He's talking about like, you don't want to get mixed up with me. I'm just going to corrupt you, basically. Mm. Like she couldn't do that to him. Yeah, right. Well, but it is. It's like the the stereotype of of Chinese women particularly, but Asian women, is that they're childlike, that they're petite, that they're submissive that they're going to be your little love slave yeah so to speak and so you know i think that that this song while super catchy and re- really interesting definitely plays into that so apparently this video was meant to be satire and meant to kind of take down that notion by just ramping it up to 11 and it does kind of it toes that line that that interesting line with satire where Sometimes it's so dry that you feel like it's offensive until you find out after it, like, what the actual intention is or until you know what the context is. Well, so I think a lot of... So I think why you asked me to come on and why this... It's because this is an ongoing conversation in our relationship is where... How does intention play into satire? There are a lot of things that, like, I don't think they're funny, even if it's meant to be satire or even if it's a joke... You know, your intention maybe matters in some ways, but also like what you're saying and what you're perpetuating also really matters. So when you're using these stereotypes and you have the intent to be satirical, is there a way to do that without being actively racist? Does this song address those stereotypes? Does it do anything intellectually interesting with them or does it just put them out there and just promote, uh, propagate them? I think this song, doesn't do anything with them um but i think that you're right that that's sort of like that's where the where i feel like there is a line and that and satire can be a way for us to sort of look more at these you know these stereotypes or these inequalities um or this imagery in our society is if we if we show how ridiculous they are then we're maybe more likely to understand that and see that more often and try to change that and change the way we think about it and i'm not sure that this song goes far enough to really do that it's hard to really establish that kind of conversation with a three and a half minute silly pop song. Oh, it yeah. Was, it was, um, maybe the intentions were there, but the forum wasn't really the best for it. Um, the thing that I had completely forgotten about in the video until we were watching it that kind of made me go, hmm, was that part where it's just the shot of David Bowie doing the thing with his eyes. It's like, yeah. Trying pulling to his, his eyes back his and eyes like going up and down him. with them. Yeah, this is a groan, groaning <laughs> moment. Yeah, where you think, oh, Bowie. He's doing the, oh, it's Bowie. like the childhood game. Like yeah. Chinese, Japanese. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's or with not the cute. playing jokes and putting PP in one's Coke. Yeah. I probably said that a lot when I was a child. And now it just kind of feels icky. So, Feels Iggy? Feels Iggy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 
and then, not, and, he, and he sort of laughs like he sort of yeah. plays it off with that adorable Bowie smile. Yeah, <laughs> laughs it off. But uh, yeah, not cute. Yeah, not cute. And then you go forward a couple of years, uh, the Glass Spider tour, and when he gets to the "you just shut your mouth" part, he puts on an accent. Things get a little racist. <laughs> well, but I think that that comes back to an interesting point in that you know I think that this song is uh, is an interesting capture of time and how, and when we sit in 2016, what we think of as appropriate racially and where, and, and as a society, like what we think is acceptable is very different. And I think at this point in time, people were not nearly as thoughtful and aware yeah. of what they were doing um, in terms of like representing other cultures. And so I do think that this is an d- interesting snapshot of how our society has changed. Yeah. And then the thing that I found interesting after watching that video and thinking, oh, I bet David Bowie looked back on that and felt silly. You were telling me about the reality tour, right? So in the a reality tour CD, it's not on the video, but when it came out on CD, they, they put China Girl on there. During that same part when she says, just you shut your mouth instead of uh, just you shut your mouth. He does the accent too. She says, oh baby, shut the f*** up. But Which with is, the accent. But with the accent. And this was in 2003, was it? I think so. 2002, 2003. Which kind of makes the old video feel a little more yucky because you would think by 2002 or 2003, you're kind of getting to that point where maybe you shouldn't be doing the accent anymore. So this is the thing. This is, in the video, Bowie plays the Western male uh, colonial protector and he has a relationship with the Asian female and they play these these games you know uh, they go out for noodles or whatever and and he, he tosses rice into the into literally the, the only thing that doesn't happen in this video is he doesn't like ring a giant gong at any point that's the only and there's no bonsai tree anywhere in there that's like all he's really missing for the stereotype cycle but they have these private jokes and you get the sense that when he does the eye thing he's they're having a laugh with each other. It's supposed to be, you know, kind of a thing you, you might share with an intimate partner, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, in private. And you wouldn't, like, go around in the middle of uh, downtown. Mm-hmm. Like, in, you wouldn't walk around in Chinatown doing this. I would probably feel uncomfortable blasting that song if I was driving through Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a weird thing. It's, 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 yeah. it's got this, like... Uh, the fun things you miss out on being in a white-white relationship. About getting to like get, just getting to be like just racist, but in a fun way. <laughs> now, <laughs> is that what this song is about? Is that what the person in this song is doing? I think it's just a glorification of this long-lasting idea of Asian women of the like the white men come and they're the saviors and they're like the conquerors and they get these women that are going to do whatever they want and then and it you know continues to this day where online dating there are all of these sites um, where you where your men can find their Asian woman or you can get you know mail order brides still and all of that kind of stuff where um, you know I just I, it feels like a glorification of that imagery to me mm-hmm. uh, interesting I've never sat and thought about it because it is a song that I really like and listen to a lot because it's just so catchy and fun but when you step back you're like oh, this is this is the thing that happens sometimes you get lost in how catchy a song is yeah and it's impossible to make this no longer part of the pop repertoire. It's a thing you hear on the radio or yeah. you hear playing in people's cars. They might even be driving down a street in Chinatown. Yeah. 
blaring it and uh it's not something that's going to go away it's not it's not the same as speedy gonzalez on the uh warner brothers cartoons which when we were kids you and me travis that would be on tv all the time i watched so many speedy gonzalez cartoons as a child such an awful racist stereotype yeah yeah, but i did love speedy he was such a badass i personally don't miss him and that's the thing is i would probably feel a little uncomfortable watching him now some of these things you know good riddance yeah, no, I agree. I think that, like, you know, these things are, are always an interesting snapshot of where we were, but, you know, we have to also be able to let go and yeah. move to something that maybe is more appropriate. So Speedy Gonzales is basically Bruce Willis in Armageddon getting launched into the, the meteorite of racism <laughs> to save humanity. <laughs> it's for the greater good. Yeah. We'll miss you, but it's for the greater good. I mean, and I, I try to look at it as, like, we're still at a really horrible place as a society but we're like we're moving slowly we're moving don't even pretend (laughs) don't even say that don't even say that because people are going to take you seriously good riddance speedy gonzalez yeah good riddance washington redskins Mm -hmm. would you say good riddance to china girl i don't think it's so catchy it is so catchy i don't know i mean i would be willing to let it go for the greater good having read more about it Knowing the origins of it, I feel like it's kind of salvageable because it is coming from a semi-autobiographical place, but it, it does still feel a little weird. But it's one of the most iconic pop songs of the 80s. You know, another very catchy song from the 80s, Turning Japanese. Yeah. Awful. It is the most racist song that there is. Up there with, like, everybody was kung fu fighting. Now, I, I've never... The what's what's the everybody was kung fu fighting just feels racist because the music is really stereotypical. It's got that like na 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 like this song. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Oriental. I'm putting my fingers up in air quotes. The Oriental riff. Yeah, well, I might be partial, but I'd say good riddance to turning Japanese. Oh yeah, yeah, Maybe that song's terrible. But I don't know about China Girl because, like you, Travis, I feel like it might be salvageable. Let's expand on that a little bit. What is it about this song that goes beyond just being a racist stereotype? <sighs> what saves it? Is it's just too if damn anything. fun to dance to a good enough reason? <laughs> no. Not quite. No. I mean I mean it is like we, it's, we, it, we all it, laughed at uh, at Speedy <laughs> Gonzalez. Yeah. Now that I know more about it, I put it in a similar category as like black tie white noise, where it's like you listen to it and you're like, this what is what is this? And then you learn that it's meant to be satirical. And it comes back to the, the other part of the debate that we've had where, like, do you do away with things that are meant to be satire because there are segments that don't get that it's satire? Well, with Black Tie, White Noise, the thing with that song is we had to do that analysis to find out that any of what he was saying was ironic. Yeah. If it's presented at face value, it, it seems like he's making fun. Well, that's like... It's like Stephen Colbert's whole shtick, where, like, it's presented at face value to the point that enough conservatives thought he was, like, this amazing mouthpiece for their movement. Really? People thought that? People really thought that. Because they didn't realize that he was just doing this really intricate character. But is there anything in the text of China Girl that that signals to the audience, this is a joke, or this is satirical? Maybe just not, not in the words themselves, but just... If you were to look at it as being so over the top that it's got to be a joke. But, like, how do you do that, you know, like, because you can't have a disclaimer with a song. 
and be like, oh, you should you should see this as a joke. I mean, it's sometimes hard to do that with anything that's intended to be a joke. Like, it's not, it's over the top, but I'm not sure it's over the top enough for it to be fully seen that it's satirical. With China Girl, as far as the word, the lyrics go, we're kind of stuck with Iggy Pop's own lyrics from yeah. the original. He, he stays true to those. He doesn't change those. And Iggy Pop's method of writing lyrics is go into the studio on the day you're supposed to record the lyrics and make them up off the cuff for a song that was originally supposed to be called Borderline. Is that what it was? Yeah. Because when I was reading it, I ended up with the Madonna song stuck in my head for a while. Yeah, better in my head now. And it becomes this song about, you know, a relationship with whoever, this, this China girl. Unquote. And then, of course, but then the thing in this song that I think signifies that we're not supposed to be totally on board with this character in the song is that it starts out as this love song, right? I, I, I need my China girl. But then it becomes all of the conquering, the uh, colonial... Thing. And, and he has all these fascist things, these, these visions of swastikas and plans for everyone. It becomes... It feels like it comes out of nowhere for me. It always has. Like, this song is, like, sort of vaguely a love song, catchy, and then all of a sudden it's, like, visions of burning swastikas. And I'm like, yeah. where did that come from? Well, and, and so is it supposed to... Is it supposed to be, then, an ironic statement of this is the West's corrupting influence, the television, the things that are just inescapable, and that the pure and sweet China girl is, is a victim of that influence. It, does, it just still feels like that, like, you're not as advanced as the white man. Yeah. It's got that it's got condescending that yeah. tone. Why does such good pop have to have such terrible connotations, you know? Yeah. Well... I'm going to take a controversial viewpoint here. Okay. I'm going to put myself in, in Umberto Eco's shoes. I don't know if you guys ever read Umberto Eco. He writes a lot of thrillers, and he wrote this one, The Prague Cemetery, that had to do with the forged documents called the uh, Letters of the Elders of Zion, or something like that. And this was one of the things that uh, Hitler used to sort of propel the anti-Semitism in Nazi Germany. It was all fake, though, it was, and it, it had to do with, like, the Jewish plans to take over the world. It was a forgery, of course. And so he wrote this novel that had to do with, with that. But when he wrote it, he was under fire for being anti-Semitic because he brings in all of these anti-Semitic stereotypes and makes them part of the story. He's writing these things. It's all meant to be to point, to cast a uh, critical look at, you know, the things that we assume to be true because we read them and we just take uh, at face value what we read, those things. I don't know what you're talking about. That never happens. Certainly um, not on the internet. So he was under fire. He was under fire for all these, uh, this alleged anti-Semitism, and he coined a phrase called literary anti-Semitism, where he, he brings in the stereotypes in order to cast a critical look at them and it's assumed we know what we we know what they all are we know all the prejudices and the stereotypes put them in the story and show how ridiculous they are that's one way of satirizing racism i agree i agree on that 
does Bowie do enough here to salvage this work in that way? I don't think he quite does. I, I want to believe. I, I'm taking the Mulder stance on this song. <laughs> that, like, I really want to believe that there's like some really good social commentary in there because I know his intention is there. Dave Bowie is a brilliant artist, but not the greatest comedian satirist. He's got a very dry wit. It's he does have a very dry wit, and he is a very funny guy. Um, but I'm not sure if he quite achieved what he was going for. Was Iggy Pop's original intention satire? It seems like no. No, it was more just kind of like a autobiographical thing about yeah. his experience with this girl. So it sounds like David Bowie's idea was was to take this song and turn it into more of a satirical look. And so, you know, yeah. by using the, the oriental background music and his weird uh, making his eyes look Asian kinds of things. And so, I, you know, I understand that that was his intention. But again, I have issues with, like, intention versus outcome. <laughs> And I, and I think that his intention was there, but I think that the outcome didn't come out as well as he in- intended it to. But it's not like we're ever going to skip over the song and listening to Last Dance. No. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not good enough at playing with records anyway to skip over songs. I'm not like your parents who can do that. Yeah, it's my mom's superpower. Yeah. Just lift up the arm and to skip like, to the next pick a, Yeah, start it on an exact song right where she wants to start on a record. It's, it's magic. Very good at that. Yeah, I mean, and I, I agree I wouldn't skip it, not just for that reason, but just because I do like the song, and I think that if, as a, like, critically thinking adult, I step back and think this is, you know, this is satirical, and, and sort of try to take it more at what it was intended to be, I can appreciate it as a snapshot in time. 83. Simpler times. <laughs> Simpler minds. Simpler minds. <laughs> Anything else about China Girl? I did find a, a really good cover from, uh, I don't know if you remember, the band James from the 90s. They did that song Laid. It was on the... Uh, I remember the James Gang, who is not a... I do love James Gang. Not a band. Lovely some Joe Walsh. <laughs> um, oh, you're, talk- you're talking about the actual James Gang. Yeah. I'm talking about James Gang. Um, See, I'm confused. I'll get back on topic. James. James. This band, the band from the 90s. That song's like, This band is on fire with passionate love. You probably heard it on the radio. Yeah, they play yeah, it on ninety two nine constantly. Yeah. So they did a really cool cover. It's a little bit grungier than that laid song. Their singer's got awesome range. And he kinda he doesn't really let it go in that song. It's very straightforward. And I was thinking about it, this song kind of feels like a precursor to a lot of like Weezer, especially like across the sea on Pinkerton, where he's writing to the like Japanese schoolgirl. Interesting. Do you feel that that Weezer song perpetuates the same stereotypes. I think in some ways it does. I think it does, but I mean, not the same ter- stereotypes, more like the Japanese ones. Yeah. The like Sailor Moon type of girls. Yeah. Or like the Gwen Stefani videos that we were talking about earlier too, where she has like the harem of Japanese girls. Um, yeah. Asians. I don't, know, I don't know why it's taken so long for them to stop being made fun of. I don't get it. Like, that's beca- that was socially acceptable for way longer than it probably should have. Because those mm. Gwen Stefani videos were, were like 2004, 2005. At that point, we should have been like, eh, Asian girls aren't props. That's a little weird, Gwen. But it's even, I mean, even still, like, there's, I feel like I've heard things about people being very upset about traditionally Asian characters 
being basically whitewashed, played by white actors, and then sort of just, like, taking out this culture. Yeah, there's all of these movies where, like, white men are... Matt Damon's doing a movie. I can't remember what movie it is. But Samurais like, and stuff. Yeah, Tom Cruise played a samurai. Matt Tilda Damon, I think, is playing one. Keanu well, Reeves Tom Cruise, did wait. something? Keanu Reeves, yeah. Tom Cruise played a played a westerner. Oh, he was a westerner being, in that movie. Yeah. A samurai. But Tilda Swinton is playing yeah. a an Asian character in, what is it, Mr. Mystery? Mr. Mystery? <laughs> What's the, the Marvel cartoon? The Magician. Oh, uh, Doctor Strange? Doctor Strange. Thank you. Yeah. Mr. Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there's going to be some really angry nerds. <laughs> and then there was that movie where uh, Emma Stone, who's like the whitest white girl, played an Asian woman. I can't remember what it was called. It took place in Hawaii. It was a Cameron Crowe movie. Mm-hmm. It's funny because when we were talking about getting ready for this, we we're talking more about cultural appropriation, but really when you step back and think about trying to grow, like it's not cultural appropriation, it's really just racial stereotypes. We've also had a lot of conversations in our relationship about cultural appropriation because of Travis's love of what I refer to as white man reggae. I don't think that you, I don't think that it's inappropriate for you to like reggae, but I think that you need to be aware that if it is sung by white people, it is coming from a place of like it is from a place of oppression. Which I because I grew up listening to yeah. a lot of that. I mean, you saw it my dad's record collection. about oppression. Yeah. Oh, I know. I listen to a lot of reggae. Yeah. But then the, the argument tends to end with the fact that while I do listen to a lot of reggae from from white artists, I do always like to come back to the fact that you also do a little bit. Because not as much, but a little like, bit. Because you do like Sublime. He's not white. Brad Knoll. He speaks Spanish, but he speaks Spanish, but he's pretty white. Still appropriation. The class. It's not his own culture. Uh, yeah, I'll own that Ivy. one. I'll own that one. Um, most ska, actually, most of the ska. So basically, it comes down to she just doesn't really like. I can't. She just hates three eleven. <laughs> it is the worst. <laughs> it is the worst of the music that you like by far. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to get into our own. Yeah, internet doesn't want to hear that. China Girl. China Girl. You mentioned that uh, Iggy Pop's girlfriend was Vietnamese. Uh, the actor in the who plays opposite Bowie in the video. She her name's Jiling, mm-hmm. which another Vietnamese name. So again, just sort of like encom- all encompassing Pan Asian stereotype. Chinese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're saying so. They picked her out while they were doing the the. The shoot in Australia, the the shoot for Let's Dance, and which is the video for Let's Dance is another sort of anti-racist, anti-colonialism uh, thing because it has a lot to do with the Aboriginal people in Australia encountering Western culture and just being completely squashed under it. So it was a theme. This was a theme of these two albums and during of these two songs during this uh, trip to Australia where they filmed these two videos and so that was that was the intent apparently was to to sort of highlight racism in our culture but um really again it doesn't really come across in the text mm-hmm. of this song anything else about china girl i can think of pretty good discussion of the deep stuff yeah that oriental riff nile rogers put that together bowie brought in the song and asked nile to make it more poppy 
and he did this thing and he said, I felt like I was adding bubble gum to a, this deep rock song and I thought it was going to just ruin it and Bowie was going to fire me on the spot. And he brings it to him, he's super nervous and Bowie loves it and he says, yeah, that's, that's great, let's, let's put it in. And so it's just this stereotypical Chinese sounding tone, which is a Western invention yeah. The, the, or, yeah. the oriental riff it goes, ties into this whole just the name even orientalism is just sort of like fetishizing of uh, Asian qualities That's, it's sort of a sonic signal for western ears this is Asian yeah makes me think of salads with sesame sticks or oriental salad <laughs> is, that, is that the name it's of that like salad? it's like soy I don't know with like soy dressing Things that they think are people think are Asian in origin and is soy not you know, an Asian staple? I have no idea. Oh, I'm not sure. Fortune cookies. Are Pretty not sure those actually, are American, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which have my favorite flavor for a cookie, which is Play-Doh. Anything else about China Girl? We had all the points I wanted to hit. Let's see. What can we rate this song without it coming off racist? Do you have a rating scale you've been using? So basically, let's rate it in swastikas. <laughs> Usually, we'll, we'll cherry pick something from the lyrics. Um, how about Sacred Cows? How about Marlon Brando's? Marlon Brando's. I don't know. Let's, let's play it. Nice, safe. robust rating system. Yes, I feel like. Wait, so we. I didn't think about this. It's Sacred Cow reference. Yeah. That's Indian. Yeah. yeah. It's like references from all over Asia. It's well, just, yeah, it's all over the place. But swastikas technically did originate in India. It's an Indian. Is it like a Hindu. Religious syndrome, so. symbol that was appropriated yeah, by the Germans. Yeah, but it's, talk about misappropriation. Yeah, <laughs> that definitely is. That that takes the misappropriated cake. <laughs> but yeah, just like all all over Asia, just all these it doesn't tie into a whole. It, it's not. It's not culturally sensitive. I think no. we can all agree. That parts of this song are culturally insensitive. Mm-hmm. But damn, is it catchy! So, much easier to catch than, say, the slippery Marlon Brando. Yes. Uh, but if we were to rate it in Marlon Brando's... So I'm kind of great on, on a weird curve here, because I didn't like the song very much when I was a kid, but it's grown on me as I've gotten older. Is that right? That's generally my feelings about most 80s Bowie. I didn't really... I wasn't into 80s Bowie when I was younger, and then as I've gotten older and I've expanded my musical horizons, I've come to really like 80s Bowie a lot more. So I, I would give this kind of an even three, because adult me would probably give it a three and a half, four. Younger me would give me a two and a half, two. So split the difference. So I'm splitting the difference, I'm going to give it a three. Out of five. Out of five Marlon Brandos. All right. um, would, you, would you like to take a stab at rating this song? Am I rating it for like how much I like it? Yes. Or your your personal feelings about China whatever, Girl. Whatever that means. Three and a half. It is a song that I deeply appreciate and love, but I also sometimes stop and think about how uh, culturally and racially inappropriate it is. <laughs> so it loses some points for that. <laughs> or maybe it gains some points for that, because it's, it's, it's always important to, to bring these issues into light, mm-hmm. to put a spotlight on, on the things that we, we take for granted, these prejudices, and take a critical look at them. This has nothing to do with, my, with our discussion here, my rating of it, uh, I just have never really connected with this song, and I think it goes on over long. It's like, it's over about midway through, and then it just keeps repeating. 
over and over again. How long is this song anyway? It's like six minutes. It's almost six minutes, yeah. Wow. And that's just too long for that this song. That is a lot. Song. So two and a half is all I can, I, all I've ever really felt it deserved. It's, it's catchy, but it wears, its, it wears out its welcome after the, those first three minutes and the, the lyrics are finished. I'll listen to a radio edit maybe, but yeah, two and a half Marlon Brando's. I feel sorry for for our two Marlon Brando's that got split. Maybe they we will keep them whole. Yeah. Or you and me, we have two split Marlon Brando's, and we'll just sort of keep them whole, sort of off to the side, and not physically cut them in half like Solomon. So yeah, that, that and ends about three yeah. all together. Yeah, averages out to about three. Yeah, that's fair. All right. All right, so in, uh, in the future, we'll be talking about a song that we have never talked about before. Um, because we always record completely sequentially. Yeah. Yes. Let's see. We talked a lot about Asia here. We, we didn't mention any Asian instruments, like uh, the eru, that two-stringed bowed thing. There's, there's a lot of that, and there's, yeah. there's a remix of, of China Girl that has that. There's a guy I see playing that a lot. Yeah, down on the orange line. There's there's a couple of there's a couple of guys that play uh, the eru in uh, I don't know how, how it's actually pronounced, but I don't see too many. The bell bell is another. A bell is a kind of a, there's a gong right, but then there's other like smaller bells that are sometimes played in various like Asian in, yeah. countries, right? I'm thinking more of India probably, like the Maybe. finger bells. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more of an Indian thing. The ones that sort of like go chingling. Yeah. On the fingers. Uh, Chingling. Chingling is the, the next song in our alphabetical playlist. Yes. Till then, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. We really appreciate it. Mm. And if you were listening and you're like, wow, that guest sounded like she was having a really fun time. I would like to do that sometime. You can contact us. Give us a ring. Give us a chingling. Give us a chingling and yeah. say, hey, I dig this song. I'd love to come talk about this song. My name's Thomas. And I'm Travis. And I'm Abby. <laughs> and just you shut your mouth. I can dig it. <laughs> <laughs>